Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com. And Sarah Langs, reporter and researcher for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I know there's a lot of excitement in baseball as always, but I think the number one thing that I thought of this week is when all of the Julio stuff was going on, I kept thinking Sarah has to be so stinking happy right now and so excited. Um, I was actually in Seattle whenever it was all uh, happening and I was saying to my parents because they came with me on the trip I was like this is Sarah's guy this is who you keep hearing him or hearing her talk about so she's got to be so pumped through all of this so obviously we're gonna have Julio talk we have a triple crown watch we have finally back to Shohei Otani and Mike Trout we have all the goods this week so um, but I'm sure we'll be starting in Seattle yes so we have to start in Seattle. You mentioned that your parents were there with you in Seattle. Why were they there when you went and covered the uh, Guardians <laughs> at the Mariners, Mandy? Why were they there? I, I mean, Susan Richer, <laughs> always welcome. They think there was a specific reason. So what was it? I, I like your little suspicious voice whenever you're trying to get information out of me. Um, Try we were able to cross off ballpark number 30. Um, tried to get to all 30 before I graduated college, um, which was 2018. Tried to get to all of that. Um, got to 25. So, and then I got this uh, internship and this job, and it's harder to pick and choose which ballparks you need to get to whenever you're following a schedule of a specific team. But... Finally was able to cross off the other five in the last two years of travel for work. So uh, that was pretty exciting. And uh, I capped it off with a grasshopper. So um, I think that was going out on a high note in a way, even though it was really gross. But uh, yeah, that's what we'll say. How was it? Like the grasshopper, I mean, was it salty? I'm vegetarian, so this is very (laughs) far I think I've thought about this a lot, and I think bugs qualify in something I don't eat. Like, I've never really uh, (laughs) been faced with the question, but I was thinking about you when you posted the picture that you finally did it. I had a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, I'm not vegetarian, but this isn't something that I would eat either. Um, This was... uh... And it's in in a chili lime seasoning, which I guess helped. It's more of a mental thing, but it's crunchy, very crunchy. And then what I wasn't expecting when I think if you see my tweet that I posted, I had like a in like a story in four pictures type of deal. And the last picture, I don't look like I'm having a good time. But (laughs) that's when the powdery consistency hit in. 
And I was like, this I was not expecting. Crunchy I was expecting, but then like a powdery substance from the middle came out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't have to, I didn't really think about having to worry about like legs being stuck in my teeth. So, you know, there was, there were some interesting things. I didn't go pack for many more. We'll put it that way, but I did it. I did it. And I was like, this is the thing to do here apparently. So I'm doing it. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Uh, I also would not have expected anything other than crunchy. In my mind, it was like, it's like a weird chip. You can get past it, but I'm glad you made it past. But (laughs) that is not the only thing about that ballpark. So what was it like? I've never been there. The roof was open, closed, both. Okay. It was open. It was open the whole time. It was nice. Um, the first day was real, was warm, which I prefer because I'm cold as soon as it hits like 79 degrees. Um, so it's great that I live in Cleveland. Um, but yeah, it was, it got cold the next two, two to three days, actually. It was like low sixties. Um, my parents thought that was perfect. So I guess most normal people think that's great temperature. And uh, it would, the ballpark was really nice. I think the best part of it was the pen, which is this little concourse area out in left field where you have all these food stands where the grasshoppers are. Um, but there's all these cool food stands. And then they have this area right up against the bullpen, hence why it's called the pen, um, that has a really low wall to it that you can sit against or lean against and literally be bellied up to the bullpen. So when the starters are out there pregame, that's whenever we ran out for the grasshoppers, you're sitting there watching Tristan McKenzie warm up within feet of him. And I thought that was super cool for fans, um, especially Seattle fans, when they're getting to watch their own favorite starting pitcher warm up right there. The bullpens are side by side, and you're able to stand within feet of like Major League Baseball players warming up. Um, super cool. I thought that was one of the coolest things. Not every ballpark gives you that. Um, I know progressive field, there's some that you can overlook the bullpens. You can see things up and close, but to be eye to eye on their, like on the same level, um, with the wall being so low, it felt like you were part of the experience. And so I thought that was the highlight of that ballpark. That was the really cool feature that they had. Uh, I really thought that was great. So top notch, great one to end on able to cross them all off now. Um, it was fun. It was a good, it was a good city, good ballpark. That's awesome. That's still on my list to get to. So uh, now even more eager, and it is a good time. We should mention our other podcast with MLB, with MLB Originals. The most recent episode that went up about two weeks ago or a week and a half ago was about ballparks. And Mm -hmm. uh, we actually talked on there about the fact that you were at the time headed to Seattle. So if you're enjoying listening to us here, I'm sure you would enjoy listening to us there as well. <laughs> so I will mention that because it does play in very easily to this. And what I could not stop thinking about the entire weekend, and I was so glad you were there because it felt like Seattle was kind of the center of the baseball universe for a little bit, was Julio Rodriguez with the reported and then finalized extension. Ichiro Suzuki getting his number retired. It was Ichiro weekend. I know at one point I tweeted, like, what a moment to be a Seattle fan. The team is, as we've talked about here, most likely going to break that very long postseason drought 
we'll stop talking about it, which I know fans will appreciate. <laughs> and they just locked up a superstar player to a contract that could be 18 years. We don't know. So it is a very, to me, this is a very sort of football type contract where it has all of these different things that can happen, different uh, options and everything available. So there's a chance for the Mariners to choose to extend, uh, pick up an option on Julio to extend his contract further before the contract reaches eight years. And if they don't do that, he has a player option. So it's very complicated. We're not going to get into those details, but all you need to know is that the guarantee, the absolute minimum that Julio Rodriguez can get in this contract is 13 years and $210 million. So that is 13 years starting with this year in a Seattle uniform. And we have talked about him at length here about what an exciting and dynamic player he is. He recently, right before he uh, agreed to that contract, notched a 2020 season with his 20th homer of the year. There are only a handful of guys to have a 2020 season at age 21 or younger. It's him, Ronald Acuna Jr., Mike Trout, Andrew Jones, Cesar Cedeno, Orlando Cepeda, and Veda Pinson. So that is quite the list. And I mean, he is just so electric to watch, as you saw it firsthand when he hit one of those homers this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a really cool time in baseball, I think, because you're seeing teams take chances on guys that they They've only seen a limited window of. I mean, you think about Julio, and he's been in the majors for a couple months. And so you start thinking about the fact that they are recognizing what they know is going to be his future. Um, And yeah, that can be a risk because you never know what can go with it. But um, I think we all see the foundation that's being set right now of what could be a pretty special career. And it's fun to see teams pick up on that early and be willing to just go all in on someone who's so young. We just saw Wander, Wander do the same thing with the with the Rays. They they recognized what he could bring to the table last year. I mean, this I think this is really, really fun whenever the kids of the game are being recognized as the superstars that they are now and will continue to be. Um, and it was announced whenever I was in the press box. It was in the middle of the game. But it just so happened to be announced officially as he was standing on deck about to come up to bat. And so as the press box gave the announcement, um, the PA announcer uh, made an announcement over the ballpark as Julio standing on deck saying what they had just locked him up for, that the deal was official, and they're showing Julio on the big screen as he's standing there, and he gave, like, a little nod, and the crowd's going crazy. And like you said, it was each or a weekend, so the crowd was full every single day. So it was a really neat time to be able to be there and see how the fans appreciate what he's done so far, to see how the fans recognize what he will likely continue to do and why it's so important to lock him up. 
Um, it was really, really special. And I can't even imagine what that would have been like for him. I mean, you're 21 years old, you're living out your dream, you just signed this big deal and you listen to the crowd as it's being announced over the PA system. That has got to be one of the coolest things. And I'm sure he'll never forget that. So that was really, really neat to be able to witness it. And like, I think you've talked about him plenty this year so far. I know we raved about him during the all-star break. Um, and we were so hoping that he had a great experience during the Derby so that whenever it goes back next year, he would be ready to go and wanting to participate again. Um, but now he's just going to be the superstar Julio Rodriguez in Seattle next year, who's in Seattle for forever, it feels like right now. You think of a 21-year-old thinking about when he's, what, 13 years into the future, he'll be 34. He probably thinks that feels like a light, like light years away. So he's like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a long time. So you think about how forever is going to feel like with him in a Seattle uniform. Uh, really, really special, really cool. And I was excited to hear that that was getting done. I love that you mentioned that moment where it got announced that he had signed the contract or they made it official in that moment while he was batting because there was a moment when he made the all-star team. The all-star selection show was going on while they were playing a game because they're a West Coast team. And he was standing there in center field when the PA announcer said Julio Rodriguez is an all-star. So it's now the second time that they've done something <laughs> like that. And I just love that he gets to feel all of that adulation from the crowd. There's something so unique and authentic about not just announcing it the next day, but doing it in the moment like that and having him sort of, he's been told, he already knows these things, of course but it becoming sort of official in that moment with the fans. I feel like it really makes them part of his team, kind of like his J-Rod squad cheering section out in center field. And man, he is just so good for this game. And a couple things really stood out to me in his press conference, which I believe was on Friday. Um, cause Ichiro number was Saturday. Is that so right? they had Ichiro come in a day before for the press conference. So they had Ichiro Friday, Julio Saturday. Okay. Okay. So in Julio's presser, he talked about how the night before at the game, there have been more people at that game than are in his entire hometown in Loma de Cabrera in the Dominican Republic. And he was just talking about how embraced he had been by Seattle, talking about driving around, seeing people in number 44 jerseys. I mean, he made his debut on April 8th. It was not that long ago. And just thinking about a young, a young player like this from the Dominican Republic, feeling so at home there. I think the biggest thing that at least I noticed whenever I was there, you sort of mentioned his his little cheering squad that he has out in center field. Like this crowd loves him. And I think that's so fun when you think back that he's only been in the big leagues for four months. Um, he interacts with them every single inning. He's throwing the ball out there after every single time he's warming up. He made a catch the one time I was actually out sitting with my parents. Um, they were sitting out in, in that area 
Um, they were in uh, a higher level, so we're looking down on it. And I was sitting out there for a couple innings watching a, the game out there, and he made a catch, and then he turns around and he points back at his little section there. Just like the swag that comes with it, it's like he already knows he belongs. He already knows that he has this crowd with him. Um, he has this fan base. I think there's just like this confidence uh, about that, and it's. I, I think we could keep going on and on about it, but it's just been really, really fun to see him settle in, to see him take on this this presence that he's going to continue to grow into uh, and not just be a Seattle star, but be a, a, an MLB star as he continues. And uh, that's why he got the money that he got. And I think everyone knows what he's going to turn into. So it's been really, really fun to see the start of his career. It's been amazing. And uh, one other thing, and again, we could go on about him forever, and we promise we won't. I mean, maybe in a future pod, but not right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, one thing that I really loved that was tweeted out by uh, this Espedes Barbecue folks, I believe it was a Jordan tweet, um, said that he has so rapidly, this was actually a tweet from like a month and a half ago, and it becomes more and more true every day. He is already a one-name guy. He's just Julio. I mean, we got that moment from Liam Hendricks. We talked about that after the All-Star game. But he's just Julio. And, yeah, fans of other teams might say, what, Julio Jones, whatever, fans of other sports, I mean. But when you say Julio to a baseball fan, there is only one guy. And it's amazing because some people are first name, last name, and this goes back to like human nature. It's not even just athletes, but he's just Julio. And it's amazing. He's just going to be Julio, be himself, and having so much fun on the field for Seattle for a long time. You say that long time. I mean, 13 for sure. So he's 21. That's going to be 34. You try to picture what a player could be like at 34. You wonder, oh my goodness, maybe they won't be in their prime anymore. Maybe they won't be this. But guess who is 34, Sarah? That's Paul Goldschmidt. And he's you still doing things. amazing. I'm I sorry for interrupting that. you. I crushed that. Mandy <laughs> nailed that transition. Okay, carry on. You see what I did there? Yeah, I'm glad I got the prop there. Um, no, I was very excited whenever I just searched on my phone how old it was to make sure that was the case. So, um... Yeah, so when we come back, we'll talk about Paul Goldschmidt and see how people can still be thriving when they're 34. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. I am coming down from my high of that uh, that lovely moment of that being uh, the correct number as Paul Goldschmidt is 34 when Julio could be at the end of his contract. Um, I'm going to have to try to move on from that, but I won't for a while. So, uh, Sarah, I know this is right in your wheelhouse. I mean, anything that's pinned onto MLB's homepage, onto the Cardinals website, anything that's like these stats watches. I'm like, yep, this is all Sarah Lang's. I'm sure she's been very excited for all of this. But again, it's something that we love. Like we talk about all the time. We just love witnessing history in this game. And so it's because the history is so rich. It's just so cool. Anytime anything can happen and how rare is it for someone to get into triple crown territory and actually 
complete it. But it is just so fun to be able to sit here and watch this pan out over the next few weeks. It really is. You know, we've been on Triple Crown Wash a couple of times lately. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was close to that last year. We had Christian Yelich getting close there in 2018. Um, so it's not super rare to be on the watch, but it's very rare for it to actually happen. So as of right now, as of recording on Tuesday afternoon, Goldschmidt has a pretty hefty lead over Freddie Freeman for the best batting average in the National League. I believe that's also the best in the majors. He is three behind Kyle Schwarber for the most home runs in the National League. And just a reminder for the Triple Crown, it does count if you tie in that category, so you just have to be at least a co-leader. And that is very notable because in RBI, Goldie is tied with Pete Alonso at 105. So it sort of feels like, I mean, he and Alonzo have been going back and forth a bit lately. Alonzo had been on the tear, maybe a little bit less so. Schwarber hit a ton of home runs, especially in June, as he does. Then hadn't for a while. We'll see if he's able to narrow that gap. But the only triple crown that we've seen in the divisional era, which goes back to 1969, was Miggy in 2012. And I think I've talked on this podcast about how uh, sometimes I find stats split by league to be kind of silly. It's not harder to do something in the AL versus the NL. But I will say it is a very weird oddity that the last time there was a triple crown in the National League was 1937 by Joe Ducky Madwick, also for the Cardinals. So since then, Ted Williams did it twice, Mickey Mammel, Frank Robinson, Collier Stramski, and Miggy all in the AL, but there hasn't been an NL one since Ducky Madwick. Wow, I didn't realize that. I. I mean, I'm now looking at this list that you have here and all of our little notes that we share together. That's crazy to think of that. And it's sort of cool that the last one was also the Cardinals. Um, but that's it's it's such a difficult <laughs> like I'm as you were sitting here going through each category and where he stands and how close he is to other guys. It's like I'm trying to think, OK, homers is probably the hardest, right? Because it just seems like it's it's difficult to make up that kind of ground. But then I started thinking, OK, but like average is hard because that changes every single time you come up to bat and you have a couple bad games in a row and then now you're losing that and then I thought well RBIs is hard because then if the guys aren't on base in front of you then you can't keep going there so I just started to realize in that moment of my god this is difficult to do and there's a reason why we don't see it there's a reason why there's only been one in our lifetimes um and it's, I mean, clearly it's been a while since the NL has had one. Um, and I agree with you. It's not like there's one league that's more difficult than the other. Um, but still, it's a strange little fact that it's been so long for the NL and to see this drought end would be fun. Um, but my gosh, to think about how difficult this would be and if it can actually happen and witness that one would be really special, really cool to be able to see that um in real time and then also to see someone 
of his age doing that because you think about how often baseball players are always referred to in their as like as they're aging and you say okay well at this point they're going to be tapering off and I mean heck we're talking about Miggy doing it in 2012 and he's still in the game right now um so guys can still get things done where his Goldie's teammate you have Albert Pujols still doing things um and he's been around what seems like forever so age doesn't always tell the whole story but my gosh to still be leading in every category when you have all of these guys, you're looking at the Freddie Freemans, you're looking at the Schwarbers, you're looking at the Pete Alonzos. It's like this next generation coming through. Um, and it's like, no, Goldie's just like, no, I got it still. It's fine. And so this is really, really fun to be able to watch. So I'm of two minds with the gauge thing. It's so funny, and I don't know if you feel this way, and maybe it's our age, the fact that we're younger amongst the people who covered this game. But Paul Goldschmidt is not old to me. He's still 2013 Paul Goldschmidt on the Diamondbacks. Like, I will never see him as old. And it's very difficult for me to think that, you know, I was kind of getting ready for what should we talk about. And I was like, maybe I should look at the oldest MVP winners. But I was like, no, there's no way Goldie won't be on that list. He's not old like that. But there have only been a handful of guys to win MVP in the divisional era in their age 34 season or older. So that's what he's in. It's kind of an arbitrary thing. It's your age on June 30th. He will actually be turning 35 soon. But either way, it's actually the same list of guys. So... We have 04 Barry Bonds, 03 Barry Bonds, 02 Barry Bonds, 01 Barry Bonds. Then we have 1992 Dennis Eckersley, 1986 Mike Schmidt, 1981 Raleigh Fingers, and 1979 Willie Stargell. Those are the guys to win MVP, at least as old as he is right now. And... It's funny because, again, in my mind, he's young. And also in my mind, 34 doesn't sound that old. Even putting aside that I don't think of him as an old player, 34 sounds like, yeah, someone must have done that recently. But for the only ones, again, in our lifetimes, to be Barry Bonds, who was otherworldly at that age, I'm just fascinated by this. Sarah, I think you'd be the first to say that stats are going to be the concrete evidence to whatever your opinion is. So I think it's sitting here telling you that whether you want to believe it or not, he's old when it comes to baseball. And I mean, it's hard to believe because I'm sort of in the same mindset. Like you don't think of Paul Goldschmidt as being like in this Albert Pujols or Miggy or like that type of a category where it's like he's been around so long. But then you say um, like... 2012 and you think about how long like it's actually been and that's why I sort of had to google real quick to make sure that my mind wasn't playing tricks on me that he was actually in his mid-30s at this point and so I'm sort of in the same boat but like when you start seeing guys get up over 32 33 years old that's when they start usually tapering off that's when guys start 
like filing out of the league a little bit more. You see, as they hit that free agency time period, right around 30, if they play out their, their entire time with their team, when they're under team control still, they get to free agency around 30, and then you start thinking like five five, six years after that time period is when, all right, that's usually when it's done. So you think of him towards the end of his career at this point, and clearly he doesn't think of himself that way because look at his numbers. And uh, he's proving who cares what my age is. Uh, I can go out here and still do whatever the heck I want to do. Um, and that's really fun. I think that makes this even more exciting in a time where you have so many young guys um who are stealing the show. We talk about Julio at the top of the show and to think of uh, everything that all the young guys are contributing to the game right now and why everyone's so excited for the next generation of baseball. Uh, it's fun to see someone who's from a, a previous generation still being like, I can hang with the kids. It's fine. Yes. And he does have a, a teammate who is younger and recently had a kid in Nolan Arenado who is also having a really good year. And there's a possibility these guys could finish one and two uh, for MVP. You know, maybe Pete Alonzo, Austin Riley. There are certainly some other good options as well. But there is a chance. So Mm -hmm. there have been six instances in the divisional era of teammates finishing one, two, and MVP. There's Mm -hmm. 24 overall. But the way that voting used to go on MVP used to be, okay, who's the best team? Who are their three best players? Okay, I'm voting for them. So no disrespect to uh, prior voting uh, groups, but we're going to go with divisional era, kind of a broader view of the sport. So the last time this happened was in 2000 with the Giants. It was Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds. 1990, the Pirates bonds again with Bobby Bonilla finishing second. 1989, Giants, Kevin Mitchell and Will Clark. 1983, Orioles, Cal Ripken Jr. and Eddie Murray. 76, Reds with Joe Morgan and George Foster. And the 71 A's with Vita Blue and Sal Bando. So that is the group that the Cardinals of current of 2022 could potentially be in if Nolan Arenado finishes second. He's having the type of year where, if not for Paul Goldschmidt, we're probably talking about him in a conversation with a couple other guys. But I also think that there are two guys on the Angels who... If that team finds some pitching and becomes a bit more competitive, could finish 1-2. Thank you. Mandy is clapping on her video right now. I was very proud of myself when I realized this was my good transition (laughs) here. But we want to talk about Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. And I fully believe as long as these two remain teammates, we will at some point have a year where this team is competitive and these two guys do this. So Mike Trout finally returned from injury recently, August 19th. Since then, he's hitting 308. He's slugging 641. He's hit four homers. And Shohei Otani is Shohei Otani. And listen to these numbers. I'm not even going to really give context because... I don't think they need it. He has 29 home runs. That's a lot. We know that. He has a 147 OPS plus. 
100 is league average. He's 47% better than league average. He has a 267 ERA. We know that's good. He has a 151 ERA plus. Uh, 100 is league average. That's 51% better than league average. I mean, when you have to go to someone's page, like baseball reference page, and you're torn between looking at their pitching stats or their hitting stats, it's still, he's been around, it seems like, for so long now, and I still cannot fathom the fact that he's so good as a pitcher and as a hitter. It's just something that we don't really see. And back whenever, I'm saying back whenever, like it was like years ago, but in as recently as the last few years when there was, uh, before the universal DH, when pitchers would hit consistently in the NL, um, you it's not like hitting as a pitcher would be rare, but it was just rare for anyone to succeed. And you had those guys who could hit a home run every so often, um, and that got the baseball world so excited because this pitcher could hit a home run every once in a while or could contribute more than what the stereotypical pitcher could. Um, but to see the level of... I don't know. It's like dominance in a way of both aspects of the game. He's above average, as you just said, in both aspects. You And it's just, there's a reason he's going to be in the all-star, or not the all-star, the MVP conversation every single year because you just can't compare what he's doing to anyone else. Um, and he's going to continue to do that, I believe, wholeheartedly that this is not just going to be a couple year thing where everyone's fascinated by him. He's proving that he can do that way more frequently than just like a fluke year. Um, what he's doing is fun. And I know that we, we wanted to use this podcast to talk about him as much as we absolutely could. And there's been a lot of weeks where so much is going on that it's hard to get to everything. But I was so excited the last few games whenever I started to see, I mean, as of Tuesday, the last two games, he had multi-hit games. He had a home run in each game. As soon as I saw those things, when we're texting each other about what we should talk about this week, I was like, uh, is this time for show? I think this is showtime again. Um, and it really is. It's just a reminder. I don't know how many reminders we all need, but it seems like we need one once a week of, Oh my gosh, what are we watching? This is so incredible to be able to see this. His ERA is ridiculous. To think of him pitching this well and then, oh, by the way, let me just go have a 30 home run season along with that. It's just mind-blowing to me. And we see the headlines every day. We read about him every day. We watch him every day. And still, it just does not make sense to me how we're witnessing it. I mean, he went seven scoreless innings in Toronto just a couple of days ago and allowed two hits. The Blue Jays have been struggling, but that is a good offense. Nine strikeouts, one walk, nothing else allowed, just two hits. I mean, that is how good he is. And I know that the Blue Jays fans and the Blue Jays uh, analysts and everyone were really raving about him after that because I was listening to the Angels broadcast last night Mark Gubiza and Patrick O'Neill were talking about that, how they just, you know, Dan Schulman and everyone kept going on and on about how great that Otani outing was. 
And, I mean, he has 29 home runs. With one more, he'll have 30 home runs to go along with 176 strikeouts. There's only been one guy in baseball history to have 30 homers and 150 strikeouts or 100 strikeouts or even 31 strikeouts in a season. And it's Shohei Otani last year. And now he's going to do it again. So just to make that clear, the most strikeouts in a 30-homer season, most strikeouts on the mound in a 30-homer season before Shohei Otani last year was Babe Ruth in 1930. He had three. He had 49 home runs and three strikeouts. 1919, Babe Ruth had 29 home runs, which is what Otani has right now, and 30 strikeouts. I mean, it's just crazy, and you can do it the other way with most home runs and 100 strikeout season, whatever you want to say. But it's just, it is, you know, I think it's very easy for people to get almost like a fatigue. Not that they're tired of Otani, but that they run out of words to describe him. And they come to just accept this. But we should never take this for granted because this is incredible. And it doesn't mean that he has to win the MVP every year. Aaron Judge is having a historic season. I fully expect him to win. I think Otani may be more valuable in certain ways, potentially. But I think Aaron Judge is your MVP, and that's okay. But... We should never lose sight of the fact that this is absolutely unreal. And, you know, you watch the draft, and every single player comes out of high school as a two-way player. And that's not because of Otani. That was true even beforehand. The best athletes are the shortstops, the pitchers, the center fielders, and they're usually doing all of that. But even with Otani's influence, even with how good he's been, we have not seen someone else even come close. I mean, I'm even talking since 2018, since he came over to the U.S. and people had sort of a renewed interest in the concept. We still have not seen anybody come close to this, and I don't know when we will. I don't know if we will, and I think that's what's fun is like, there's no one to compare him to, really, other than Babe Ruth. And you think back of, like, Babe Ruth is, like, the the logo of MLB, in a way, of, like, you think if you ask anyone about baseball, whether you've seen a game or you've not seen a game, almost everyone's heard the name Babe Ruth. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, Babe Ruth's, like, the most famous baseball player of all time. It's just a name that everyone's always heard of. And when you're only able to figure out a way to compare Shohei Otani to someone and it's Babe Ruth and the stats end up backing that up whenever you start looking at what the when the last time anyone's done anything remotely similar to what he's doing Babe Ruth seems to come up every single time that you bring up an Otani type of stat it's just that's where you start to recognize even more if you don't see it on a daily basis and you're not realizing what you're witnessing the constant reminders of this guy is sort of like Babe Ruth. I think that sort of makes it really come to the forefront of the, of the mind of like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I should be paying attention to this guy because this is, this is really, really special. 
And that's how people are going to look at him 50 years from now. Like, my gosh, this guy was unbelievable. Um, And so to be able to watch him live and witness this career is really, really special. And I know we talk about it all the time of just like how cool it is to be able to witness this. But it really, really is. And like you said, like with him, with Mike Trout, it's hard to believe that this team isn't better than what they are. And it's I say it every year. Because you have two of the most special players to have ever played the game, let alone just being in the league right now. Um, but I think it inevitably will have to crack at some point whenever you keep them together. Uh, but I think it's just regardless of what the team is as a whole, it's so fun to watch both of them together. It's so fun to watch both of them individually. Um, and to be able to see what's happening now uh, is really special. Yeah, I mean... It is so wonderful. I'm so glad Trout is back, healthy, and that we get to see the two of them. They win some games, and, you know, hopefully the future of that team gets some pitching and be successful because I want to see some Otani and Trout home runs in the postseason. I am really proud of myself because I have my moment from the week and I've had it locked up for a couple days now. So I am I am so proud of myself because I never go into this being feeling confident and actually just having a moment. So uh, we'll take a quick break and when we come back, I can confidently tell you what my favorite moment in baseball was. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Lang, Researcher and Reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I just had told you I'm very confident, and uh, I, I'm so excited to talk about this. So I'm, I'm just cutting you off right now, and I'm just telling you right now I'm going right away because let Hi. me just tell you, we, we alluded to it earlier, just be there for each row weekend. Oh my goodness, Sarah. I cannot even put into words how special that entire weekend was, how awesome it was. I was walking underneath the ballpark. I was walking up from the Guardians Clubhouse after talking with Tito for pregame, and we saw this press conference set up. Um, and we were like, is this when is this when Ichiro's talking like right now? And there was someone standing out front. They're like, Yeah, he's coming in like 30 seconds. Might as well just pop in and listen to this. It was so cool to sit there. So many questions that he was asked. You could see him fighting back tears as he was trying to answer it. I mean, the very first question of just what this meant to him, which he knew would be the first question that he was asked, even that still got him. And he had to take a a really long pause. Um, It was that whole weekend from start to finish, everything that everyone had said about him throughout his career about how funny he was about how great of a teammate he was about how nice and respectful he is it just seems like none of that has changed it seems like he's that person to a t um to see how much seattle loves him uh the lines i can't even tell you sarah for both saturday and sunday Saturday was the ceremony and the lines to get into the ballpark were like wrapped around the ballpark like four times it felt like. And then Sunday was just his bobblehead day and that had lines down the street um, to see how much this fan base really loves him and embraces him. And the speech that he gave was so, it was so cool to hear him 
really speak to fans one-on-one in English, which no one ever expects you to do because one, you couldn't pay me enough money in the world to go try to speak in another language in front of a packed ballpark. Um, It was really impressive to hear him give that one-on-one conversation and you could hear how funny he was to just start when he just is like what's up seattle and that's how he starts his speech um he made fun of each person who was sitting behind him who was already in the mariners hall of fame uh it was just all of it was it was so great to see everything that you had ever heard of ichiro suzuki being And you see it all come together in this one moment of how grateful he was, of how respectful and kind he was of everybody, how funny he was by making fun of every single person he came across, it seemed like. And then to top it all off, the moment of Julio Rodriguez being part of that, bringing him his flowers. um, And you just see this like Seattle legend who is already finished his career is getting recognized in that ballpark a couple years before we know he'll inevitably be in the hall of fame so you're witnessing this hall of famer standing there being loved by this fan base and you have this guy who just signed his long-term deal who's only four months into his big league career and is probably going to be the next biggest thing since Ichiro has been here Um, To see those two worlds collide was really, really cool. And Ichiro talked about Julio in his press conference. Someone asked him about it saying, so what do you think of Julio as a player? Does he ever come to you for advice? Any type of those things. And and Ichiro was saying how he does n- he never gives advice unless it's asked for. He never steps out of his he never goes out of his way. He does not feel like he's that type of a person, which I love that response anyway. But like you're Ichiro, you can tell anyone anything you want and they'll be like, "Yes, please give me advice." But he said Julio comes to him all the time and he's a type of per- person who wants to get better every single day, wants every resource, wants everyone to tell him what he's doing wrong so that he can fix it. And he said that he's told each, er, he's told Julio so many things. Um, and he said that he refuses to put expectations on young players because he doesn't think it's fair. He doesn't think it's um, anything that anyone can predict when you're four months into your big league career. So much can change. He said, I never, ever do it. But for some reason, I have high expectations for Julio because he has everything. And I expect a lot from him because I really, really think he's the next big thing. So to hear all of this from start to finish of just like recognizing a great and then for him to turn the page and be like, I'm passing the baton to you in a way. It was just, oh, it was so cool. It was so neat to see Itro, so happy. Um, so in his emotions to see his family, his wife sitting behind him, the Hall of Famers beside him. You have um, his interpreter, his long-term, uh, long-time interpreter with his family out there. It's just like to see all of that come together and then to see the baton pass, it seemed like, to Julio. It was such a special weekend, such a cool weekend. And Itro seems like as good of a guy as everyone thinks he is. I'm so glad you got to be there. I mean, I was watching on TV was an amazing moment. I was going to mention the flower seeds you wrote from Julio, but I'm glad you said it as part of this. The only part I will add is that they also had a, amongst the congratulatory videos, his wife engineered a congratulatory video from his dogs. And they talked about their first dog who had passed away a couple of years ago. Now they have these two dogs. 
and there was this adorable video on the scoreboard of the dogs barking and it said, you know, congrats and whatever on uh, subtitles. So, I mean, anything where the dogs give a congratulatory video is definitely going to appeal to me. And the next day, whenever he came back, they did like a quick little Hall of Famers roundtable for pregame. Like they just asked each other questions and things like that. And they came out and they said, how do you feel about your speech or something? And he's like, well, it sort of sucks because the dog speech was better than mine anyway. So uh, I'm sorry, like uh, upstaged by the dog speech. So that was really funny. He loved that. He thought that was great. That's amazing. So mine is also uh, an older player. Um, but a current player. So Adam Wainwright on Sunday, on Sunday Night Baseball, agreed to be mic'd up during his pregame routine. And so just before the game, which was, of course, delayed by some torrential-looking rain in St. Louis that <laughs> yeah. then cleared up and the sky was beautiful uh, before the sunset. But after that delay, Adam Wainwright had a microphone and IFB, he was listening, he was chatting with David Cohn on the ESPN broadcast right before the game was starting, walking fans, kids at home, everyone listening through his pregame routine. He talked about something that certainly stands out to us. I mentioned fielding questions earlier, of course, we talked about superstitions. He talked about how important it is to have a routine pregame, but don't let it turn into a superstition. So he said, yes, he always does the same thing, but if they came to him and said, hey, you have three pitches and then you gotta go out there, he could do it and not be phased. So that's the part where you don't let it turn into a superstition, you don't let it become something where you can't do anything unless you're doing this. But he walked through what pitches he throws, what he's looking for, you even saw the moment of him asking, uh, I think, the bullpen coach for Velcro to get Pitchcom in there, which is a new part of the routine. And then two other moments that really stood out. And by the way, the entire thing is up there on the ESPN YouTube page. I cannot. It's like 14 minutes. It is so worth it. I mean, I was watching live and I kept gasping at how incredible it was. But two other moments that were really great. So he's warming up, and David is asking, like, okay, how many pitches? What's next? And he says, you know, one great thing about being the home starting pitcher, they can't start without you, baby. That's what he said. <laughs> so he can do, you know, and he's not going to milk that, but he's saying, they can't start the game until I walk out of this bullpen. And then he added, especially when you're 40. And I just thought <laughs> it was the most perfect thing. And he did some TV last year. He did uh, games with A.J. Przinsky and Adam Amin on Fox in the after the Cardinals lost the wildcard game. And we know that if he chooses to do that post-career, he will be incredible. But this was just another example. And the final part, and the one that I think would have appealed most to you, I know you were not in a position to be watching because of post-game and everything. But <laughs> during the anthem, right before it, he says, because there was a camera out there in the bullpen with him. 
And he goes, make sure you guys show the side of my head. And he had a little lightning bolt shaved into the side of his head. And he's, he says, I took my son to get his hair cut yesterday. And he goes, hey, you want to get a lightning bolt like me? And he said, yeah, sure, nobody's going to see it. And then he's on national TV, mic'd up, all of this the next day. And obviously, you know, and he didn't have to call it out. And I'm sure nobody would have noticed. But the way he told that story was even better. And it was just so funny. And then you noticed it when he was sitting in the dugout in between innings. But if he hadn't called it out, nobody would have really seen that. So it was just an amazing moment. And, you know, I'm not a young pitcher, nor am I a pitcher at all. <laughs> um, but I have to imagine that any young kid watching that got so much out of it. I mean, again, I got tons out of it. And I will never even throw a little league pitch, let alone anything else. So just an incredible teachable moment and a really cool moment just in terms of uh, fan access to players on mm -hmm. a start day in a moment that we have never seen before on that kind of stage. I, I understand the logistics of why this can't be every day, all day. I get it. And trust me, it's it's a lot for players to take on. It's a lot for broadcast to take on it's it's so much to do all the time but when it's done it is just so above and beyond amazing uh i think it's just a an insight an insight to the baseball world that no one can get any other way um you can ask players about a game afterwards but there's nothing like getting it in the moment you understand what they're thinking in moments to get mic'd up whether it's through their pregame routine or on the field during the games there isn't just nothing better to me than mic'd up i mean i guess Hearing him talk about doing things for his kid, that's probably better to me because baseball and kids are my favorite thing ever. But second, second, there's nothing better than uh, getting mic'd up. So I'm glad you brought that up. I had a feeling that was going to be it because I knew you sent it to me. I knew you were excited about it. Um, I was hoping that was going to be it, so I'm glad it was. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go watch it again because it was really, really fun. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's it for this week. It's hard to believe that... Um, we were so both so confident in our answers because that never happens because there's always like 12 things. So proud of us for this week. Um, but if want to make sure that you don't miss an episode uh, of Ballpark Dimensions, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying this show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to Ballpark Dimensions, and we'll see you next week.